Hello everybody and welcome back or welcome for the first time to the UK's premier RPG podcast What Would the Smart Party Do? I'm Gaz and with me as usual is my girlfriend Baz. How's it going Baz? Hello, I'm super, thank you. <laughs> oh, is that, is that a lead in? Is that a spoiler? <laughs> this is why we're the premier podcast. These segues. <laughs> Seamless. Gold-plated Olympic standard segueing. We are heroes in our own lifetime. Oh my word. So I'm not convinced by superheroes, Baz. Whereas no, I know. You, you love them. I do. So I don't know how we should approach this topic. Are you going to tell me what's good about them? Should I tell you what's wrong with them? Should we talk about the games first? How mm-hmm. do you want to do it? Uh, right, so I, th- I think I think it's perfectly cool that you don't like superhero games because I don't like them either. But I really <laughs> do like... <laughs> I really do like the idea of superhero games. What I find tricky is over the decades is finding a superhero game that delivers a good superhero experience. And I I have a sneaking suspicion, like with anybody who says, oh, I just don't get on with such and such. You're not allowed to have that opinion. What really matters is that you've been doing it wrong all this time. (laughs) And what you need is someone to tell you how you've been doing it wrong. And then the clouds will part, the sunbeams will come down. You go, oh, do you know what? I probably did like it all along. And Baz was Mm. right. So if we could just skip to that part, then um, we could all get on with our lives. <laughs> no skipping to the end of the podcast, though, listeners. You have to sit through the whole hour to find out if that actually happens. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that is that is definitely a thing that I've seen even amongst other people who really like superheroes and uh, purport to like superhero games is they quite often have a strong critique of the games they've been playing or said it's not quite done what they wanted it to or I think the other thing that's not clear for me, and something I quite often ask people, is that kind of like, what's good about superheroes? Because I think mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the people in spandex pants when we say superheroes. I mean, the genre, the whole thing. is like, what experience yeah. are you trying to achieve? What's, what, like, what are you trying to grasp? Because if you can identify that, which might be different for different people, then you can like maybe look at what the system should be to support that. Because I think one of the defining things of most superhero games I've seen, which could be a good or bad thing is um, the main thing about them is people talk about the the power building thing. Mm-hmm. So quite often it's a quite involved uh, or intricate process for can you shoot laser bolts out of your eyes or fly or whatever it is you might do. And there's a lot of attention paid on powers, which is not dissimilar then from playing D&D or something where you have lots of attention on what feats or classes or whatever else you're doing or some other game where you build up from a menu of options to make a powered character of some sort. And whether you're a superhero or a dungeoneer or whatever else it might be is then a bit of a moot point. This is all true. And um, caveat time before I speak more is, is talking about supers is a bit like saying the games are cinematic. And anyone who goes to the cinema will tell you, you can get very many types of film. Thank you very much. So what do you what do you mean when you say that? And I think the same can be said of supers as well, or when people say they're into manga, and you right. always get some someone come out of the woodwork and say, well, which particular one do you mean out of the thousands of subgenres there are? But I think we know what we're talking about, right? We're, we are probably talking about a bit of spandex. Um, for me personally, I'm talking about the American comic books of the. Well, for me, it was I'm a sort of child of the '70s, I suppose, the Bronze Age of Marvel comic books. Yeah, Spider-Man's and Hulk's and X-Men, Avengers, that kind of thing. But to a younger audience, or, or I, I guess that we've talked about supers, they might be thinking about films, Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? 
or the DC ones, or whatever ones, really. Um, and then, you know, there'll be people who just think about maybe Saturday morning cartoons, which aren't just Saturday morning cartoons anymore, are they? Like your Teen Titans and that kind of thing. So even within Supers, and especially within Supers, I suppose, there's a whole bunch of subgenres and tropes and, and all that kind of thing. So I think you're right to say, well, what is it you're trying to get out of your Supers game, you, you people who are playing them? Because I think if you haven't got in your head where you're trying to get to, how can you possibly know whether you got there or not? Yeah. Um, and the thing that you know often derails or, or makes science fiction games have that false start is one person says spaceship and six different people around the table have a different image in their head. It's also true of supers. The powers yeah. thing, I, I think you're spot on, mate. And I think personally, as everything I say is personal, I suppose, but powers is where supers RPGs get it wrong for me because I don't think the superhero comics, the kind of thing that I'm looking to emulate in my games, is ever really about the powers in the same way as Jaws isn't about a shark. I don't think Super's, Super's stories are really about Cyclops' eye beams. They're not really about Wolverine's claws. That's just that's not really the point. Yeah. They're, they're important things, but they're much more likely to be the set dressing to what is largely a bit of a soap opera. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of when I think of the comics that I loved, is those kind of personal relationships, uh, power and responsibility, all of that kind of stuff. And Super's games, as you rightly say, from the very off, they came out pretty quickly after D&D blazed that trail. We had champions and villains and vigilantes and the hero system, and it was all very simulationist. Like, if I want the flight power, how many points is that going to cost me compared to if I want to read someone's mind? And how do I balance those up? And can I take a disadvantage with my GURPS character to get, like, invulnerable skin? And Mm -hmm. then it all feeds into the who's stronger? Is it Thor or is it the thing? Which is something that comic book fans have played around in their heads for years, decades, ever since comics came out. But as soon as you started putting numbers on these things, it was like the D&D monster manual with gods in it. It's got mm-hmm. hit points, we can kill it. And that is why I think my, my experience with Supers games has been frustrating over the decades, and why I hope that the reason you don't like Supers is because the same reason that I've been frustrated, but you just, uh, you're just you more mature than me and just decided not to play them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess there's other things. There's like a general uh, predisposition I've got for wanting to play something like Delta Green, for example, where the good guys are going to lose or, mm. you know, there's a pervasive, like that, that style of game generally appeals to me more than, for example, uh, a game about hope and love triumphing and the good guys are ultimately going to win after going through some challenges. That's so there's, there is an element of that as well, that the sort of games I like to play have an element of, uh, realism in the terms of, uh, there's moral gray areas more than not. And in fact, the bad guys might win because they tend to do in real life quite often mm-hmm. as well. And that, so I guess there's a bit of a mix there as well, and I guess some of the tropes I don't really, I don't, I just don't get. But I don't maybe you can elucidate for me. It's things like um, really evil villains who do very bad stuff, and they get put in prison from which they inevitably break out again, and then do more evil things and murder lots of people, and they just get put back in prison again. I understand it from a recurring villain point of view, and that might be something you want, but quite often the uh, the the whiter than white good guys seem to do things that some of all undone for the story mm-hmm. and will result in more pain and anguish, and that never get results and it's going to just be on an endless treadmill of the villain keep coming back, uh, uh, that kind of um, 
the moral quandaries that you might have in the rest of the story seem to pale in insignificance to the harm that's allowed to be done on an ongoing basis by not dealing with the problem properly or yeah. in a more mature way, if that makes sense. It does, mate. I think that's all completely valid. I think the other one that I'll remind you of, if you've forgotten yourself, is that we've spoken before about how uh, superheroes games can be comedy games, not even yeah. by design, but just people start in conventions, they start standing up and putting their knuckles on their hips and jutting their chin out and going, I shall save the innocent bystanders. And it all becomes a bit like the 60s Batman. Um, right, yeah. Which is my least favourite way of, of, of enjoying comic book stuff and supers, but my mm. least by a million miles. <laughs> it's like it's not even in the same category. So, and there is a tendency to do that. So, yeah, sort of like dumb decisions, uh, lack of verisimilitude, I suppose, or just, you know, whatever you want to call it. And and then the tendency for Gonzo. And I know that your preferences stray well away from Gonzo. And this is a genre that kind of attracts it like iron filings to a magnet, doesn't it? Right, yeah. Is, I mean, is it worth you uh, perhaps enlightening me on some of the the stronger points then of the, yeah. the sort of comics that you like and what, what draws you to those stories and, and why we should want to play them. Yeah, sure. Okay, so, I mean, I don't pass myself off as an expert in supers by any means at all, but the taste that I have, um, I'd consider myself pretty good on some parts of it. So, for example, for me, it was always Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics always did a thing for me that other comic brands never did. So I'm squarely within the kind of four-colour superheroic stuff. Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men, that kind of thing. Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, you know them all. So that's all fine. So where where I didn't tread was I was always very brand conscious. So DC, I really know very, very little about. But growing up as a child in the 70s and 80s, DC were the ones making the movies. So you had your Superman. And um, that was... That was all fun, but that wasn't for me at all. I didn't understand that. And Marvel films were shockingly bad then, weren't they? Just they awful. weren't good. <laughs> Not good. And the best thing we got, and this is this shows you how bad it was, was the Incredible Hulk TV show on a Saturday. <laughs> was it Lou Ferrigno or something? Was it Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby, <laughs> who is <laughs> inexplicably called David Banner, not Bruce Banner. It's just a, just a mess with me. Ugh. My my nerd rage was strong then, and it's only got stronger. Is it where he's not called David Banner? What you no, he's not me? called Bloody David Banner. Crikey! So <laughs> there was there was all of that. I've never been into the kind of licensed stuff like your Transformers or He Man or all of that sort of stuff. So it's quite specifically, I guess, you, you, what I would call classic, but I would do because I'm a fan. Your Spider Mans and your Fantastic Fours and so on. And you spring forward a few years and you've got all of the movie stuff as well. And I, I quite enjoy a Marvel movie, but it's, I don't queue up to see them. And obviously, they run the gamut from awful to really, really good. Uh, and I haven't seen them all. So very much dedicated four-colour comic stuff. So why? Why do I like that sort of stuff? Well, and why do gamers like that sort of stuff? Because I think after probably fantasy, science fiction, horror, supers is kind of like genre number four, I get from sort of a popularity thing. Might be wrong on that, but feels like it. So all I want to do is emulate the kind of stories that were told by writers like Chris Claremont, who had probably the most successful X-Man run back in the day. And I really admired the writing in superheroes comics. And it's just struck me that I think superhero games, they tend to emulate the art Whereas I really like the writing 
right. and when we're playing superhero games it's the story that I want to tell in my head and generate around the table that matters so I mentioned soap operas earlier and although I'm no fan of EastEnders, Coronation Street and all that kind of stuff I think it is well accepted in the writing community that the people who write soap operas are very 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 good at what they do with the amount of stuff they have to do and the speed they have to do it out they can churn out really compelling storylines with the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs and the reversals and you know Marvel comics that come out on a monthly basis were very much like that for me and I really liked the kind of big themes that were played out in the comic books like for example with X-Men the idea of and this all came out in the late 60s of course so Stan Lee's got um, Marvel characters that exist in a real world it's not Metropolis and Gotham it's New York and San Francisco and you've got a bunch of guys who kind of go through puberty and adolescence and they've got like a gene that makes them a bit different and then they're hounded by mass media and they're trying to make a difference and trying to be the good guys in a world that hates and fears them and the parallels are really really obvious of course they're obvious because it's comic books but you know for that sort of stuff to happen in the late 60s then run through the 70s and they've always reflected society Stan Lee did a really good job along with all the other people in Marvel of course of doing that kind of thing the Incredible Hulk is really a story about a monster isn't it the monster inside you which is as old as Jekyll and Hyde old as Dr Frankenstein you know is those are the kind of really ancient myths and stories come out through that so you get to literal myths and stories where you're playing with the Asgard and the Norse mythology which taught me more about Norse mythology than any books on Norse mythology did little did I know they were wrong but it didn't seem to matter to me <laughs> well they are myths so. <laughs> it's a bit hit or myth sometimes thank you and then you've got your Fantastic Four which are the explorers but also a family unit as well and that story is as much about the relationship between Reed Richards and Sue Storm as it is anything else or it's about Benjamin Grimm who's to been turned into this horrific orange brick like monster um, and can he find acceptance in a world where he just doesn't look the same as everyone else and Johnny Storm's like the, you know, the hot rod um, who just likes to live fast and recklessly and he's, he literally burns with energy there's just so much more going on than just their powers Everything I've said so far has got nothing to do with what colour spandex they wear or or whether they can shoot lasers out of their eyes or not. Yes, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of fighting, a lot of combats and so on. They take up cool panels, but really the stories are all about whatever you want them to be about. I think it's pretty limitless. You can go to the end of the universe in some stories or you can you could be like Daredevil and never leave Hell's Kitchen. You know, a two-mile radius. But the stories, the characters, are what you make you come back to it time and time again. And weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, I always thought that role-playing games were so suited to supers because you've got teams. You And most of the other genre of fiction that we apply to our gaming doesn't really have teams. It has Mulder and Scully, or it has a solo person. But it doesn't really have parties, and it certainly doesn't in fantasy stuff. D&D's always been a bit sort of mixed up hasn't it and just made mm. its own genre and supers has loads of fighting loads of team play loads of baddies really good setting it's all linked together there's advancement it's almost like it's tailor-made for rpgs but the worst thing that happened was we made it into dnd and that that's not and which is which i think is another game that is not your favorite <laughs> so <laughs> i think that may be something to do with it 
and we all have to I think you've got personal taste as whether you can look past the spandex or not and the sort of silly looks and so have you but and that's what the movies have done haven't they They put everyone in black leather jackets which I think equally look a bit silly now looking back at like the first X-Men movie they they look as ridiculous in black leather as they ever did in the blue and yellow yeah so there's a matter of taste and there's a matter of looks but for me it's the characters it's the stories and it's the audacity of the things that they can do in our world how's that for you that's, uh, that's that's a good start. It's giving me some <laughs> ideas about where we can where we can go. Uh, I think from the look point of view, there's um, there's Wild Talents, which is a one roll engine game, mm. the CBOs, which comes with a again, it's got the cafeteria style powers where you can go through and build what your power does and take disadvantages so that you can get more powerful stuff, but only in limited circumstances or, or whatever drawbacks. And I, I quite enjoy that bit of the building powers. It just doesn't necessarily come into the game as much. I think probably nailing powers down. So they are quite specific like that, and making them quite uh, detailed actually takes something away from it, because I think part of what you probably want from a Seepers game is I'm good with fire, and just be able to do fire stuff, and not actually have limits on how much damage it does, or what the area effect is, or the radius, or things like that, because mm. that's the other thing I've noticed from the from the games when it comes down to powers, is what can you do, and it's like, how much weight can you lift, or whatever, how far can you teleport, and in comics, or whatever, and the things you're talking about, that... That seems secondary because the story is coming first. And if someone wants to teleport to the side of the galaxy this week, well, the writer just puts that in because it's a thing that he wants to happen for the device of the story. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. about the range per se. So there's definitely that pull there. But I actually like this sort of gonzo uh, look of Well Talented because it's like part of it's set in the 70s. So the superhero with a big fro and stuff and flares. Yeah. And it just like that silly costuming, I guess you'd call it, actually seemed to work for me. Because mm-hmm. they were dressed as contemporary people from the seventies, and that that would seem to fit. Um, but but the good thing about that game, it, I think, is it also had a bit. I think it was Kenneth Height that wrote it about how four color is your game, and how like, had various styles to twist up and down. Yeah. So you could make it. Is it more wondrous? Is it magical? Is it whatever? And you you kind of shape it to the sort of thing we're talking about. Um, even with that, though, that's that's another example I've got of a game that. I don't think it's built to do the things you're talking about no. and make, make a good story about the characters. So have you got any examples of stuff that might be might be good in Rod? I think we can all we could list several superhero RPGs and you've listed some already that mm. have got, you know, big point by sections for your powers. But what what supports that story writing thing that you want to be able to do in a superhero game? Yeah. Or are there any even? Well, there are and and I think that gaming technology has really advanced over the decades and it's not fair to necessarily sort of tar everything from the 80s and 90s with the same brush but certainly supers i think i think it never really broke through in a game playing way because it was constantly doing this and the official marvel role-playing game would be a great example of so many attempts at getting it right um there's a new one coming out very very soon written by Matt Forbeck, who is a veteran games designer, and I'll, I'll pick it up because I've picked up all the other ones, and hopefully this one will get more play than the, all the other ones in the past. People have a lot of affection for the uh, Marvel superheroes games back from the 80s, sometimes called the Phase Rip system, Yeah, and the big innovation in that, of course, was just using words and adjectives for, uh, for power levels, so the Spider-Man's amazing, the four are fantastic, <laughs> you could be a savage Hulk and that kind of stuff. And, and that sort of fits in, so that, that that took some initial steps into using some of comic book terminology to describe what you were doing, but still underneath that was just a bunch of numbers on a chart. 
and it introduced a karma system as well. And at the time, all of this stuff is revolutionary. It seems so basic now, doesn't it, that you can yeah. like, spend points for stuff and you can say that you're incredible at something. I never played a lot of Marvel superheroes, but of course I collected a lot of the source books. But Marvel has tried so many ways over the years to get people to be able to emulate Marvel comics. There was the game with the stones. You remember the one literally with pebbles that you had to play with? Yeah, which had some initial excitement and then everybody worked Mm -hmm. out that it wasn't exciting, I think, because of the lack of any kind of variability to it. Yeah. You could could start it all out. Exactly. So, you know, that was was kind of a bit of a damp squib when that came out. And there have been so many attempts. Um, And I think the first one to really get it right was Marvel Heroic role-playing, because they've had to keep changing the names every time so people know what we're talking about here. And that's the one that was powered by what became Cortex, um, which is, Cortex is still a thing, very much a thing, that the basic Cortex core book was only out in the last couple of years, I think. Mm -hmm. That's done by the invention of Cam Banks, and I picked up Marvel Heroic role-playing when it first came out, and everybody was really, really pleased with it. Genuinely, I think it had so many fans, but it really was quite tough to get your head around, and it was a very much a departure from effects-based powers where you would build it with points, like we're talking about with Hero Champions, GURPS, that kind of thing. Um, and it had stuff like a Doom Pool, so it's all the funny-shaped dice, and you had all kinds of uh, abilities that would fire off of like different pairings of dice. There was a real game element to it. It was very gamey. Um, mm-hmm. but happy to be gamey, and everything was pinned off of narrative gameplay. So without getting too much into game theory, the idea would be that Spider-Man was based off of like you know a balance between his power and his responsibility, essentially, and it was definitely trying to emulate what was going on there, whereas Tony Stark and Iron Man were going to play in a very different way, and they may have similar-shaped dice, but what they could do with them was definitely going to be different. And it would have really cool little things like you would have different ability levels depending on whether you were on your own, in a pair, or in a team. So if you did play Wolverine, if you were on a solo mission, your stats were literally different to when you were one of the X-Men or one of the Avengers. Oh, that's nice. And if you were out with Ronin and you were doing some paired stuff like Marvel Team-Up, your stats would be different again. And you would build pools, and the GM would have a pool that would build up so the more mistakes you made, his pool or her pool would get bigger and bigger, Till the GM could like throw them down on the table. It's like, right, now it's finally everything's just reached ahead. So it's like a dice building game. Loads of fun. And then one supplement, two supplements down the line. Uh, Civil War was first, which was lovely because the comics were going through a real big renaissance at the time with people like Mark Miller doing the Ultimates, which went on to become the Marvel Universe. And Brian Michael Bendis was sort of like rebooting everything. Um, so the Civil War stuff came out and it had loads of extra heroes and heroines in. Then Annihilation, which was all the cosmic stuff. And Annihilation, I don't think, ever got to print. I think it was PDF only for about a week. <laughs> <Felt like> a <laughs> week. And now you can't get it for love nor money. And the license got pulled or dropped or whatever happened behind the scenes. Right. And that was the end of Marvel Heroic as a living game. But I would suggest to anyone who's curious about game design playing supers, especially if they're a Marvel fan like I am, I think that's still a really good game to go to. Really good game to go to. It's the one I still hear about. Like, if, if people talk about a superhero game, that's the one that they, they lament the most that didn't go very far because they, yeah. I think it was generally well received. On the downside, and I didn't think personally this was a downside, 
but you couldn't generate your own characters. Well, you could generate your own characters. I say you could, but you couldn't really. <laughs> and uh, you had to play Black Panther or Storm or whatever, and you would pull your sheet and off you go. I don't think that was a bad thing. I mean, I'm not quite sure why you'd be picking up a Marvel role-playing game if you didn't want to play Marvel characters. And, you know, they had a pretty broad suite of, of stuff for you, unless you were going to be super exotic and you wanted to play something that was only in one issue of Marvel Team Up in 1973. It was pretty much all there for you. Mm-hmm. But you know, but some, but again, the the supers community still want to be building heroes. Yeah, they still want to do that, and you know, much like a lot of fantasy players want to be working out their prestige classes and their pathways to level twenty in D and D. Supers is just as rife with that kind of play style as any other game. I think to its detriment. Though. Yeah, so that that really didn't help with the the story writing element that we're kind of like still searching for a bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess you've got a You've kind of got a hook in and that you're playing a defined character. So yeah. I guess everybody around the tables knows the sort of things they should be doing or what their strengths and weaknesses are and things like that. But mm. it probably needs some different tech, doesn't it, than the anything associated with the powers that you can do to make it more about the interactions of the characters and yes. other NPCs, presumably. Yeah, even in Marvel Heroic, if you look down the sheet, it is still a list of things that you can do rather than things about what you are. And that's going to be true of most role-playing games, so it's not much of a slight to say that. But I think we could even go back further in time to see like some some really good initial attempts at, at bringing the emulation of comic books to the fore. And one of my favourite games from the 90s was a game called Truth and Justice, which was by Atomic Sock Monkey Press, which is a game, <laughs> a name that's hard to forget. Chad Undercoffler was the writer on that one. And that system became known as PDQ, Pretty Descriptive Prose System. The PDQ system was all the rage for a little while, and it slightly got overshadowed by the release of Fate. And Fate and PDQ have a lot in their shared DNA, a lot. Mm-hmm. But PDQ was used for a few different games, but Truth and Justice was its generic supers game. And that sort of revealed the tech where it was possible to... Imagine you're playing Spider-Man, and the, the old story is you, you're a Doc Octopus and you punch Spider-Man really hard in the face but the damage that Spidey takes on the character sheet is to his relationship with his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's exactly what happens in the comics. When Spidey's getting knocked about by Dr. Octopus, no one's looking at hit points. That's not what's going on. We're looking at the fact that he's going to be late to his date because he's got to deal with this. And when Mm -hmm. he gets to his date, if he's lucky, she'll still be there staring at like a cold cold main course but he's probably got like a black eye and stuff like that and he's probably had to leave something else to get there and and your all of your all of your abilities for one of the better phrases they, they were all little phrases like in fate and they would all get knocked up and knocked down by the vicissitudes of being a hero right. um, and that that was lovely so that was really bringing some emulation into the game and you could absolutely generate your own heroes from this, and it was real freeform stuff. Again, a bit like Fate, so you would work on aspects and phrases. And, and I suppose the difficult thing about that is how on earth do you generate a character from a completely blank canvas that hasn't been come up with before? You know, yeah, that isn't. And I think people tended to do kind of analogs of stuff that was already there, and it yeah. got a little bit gonzo for that reason. It's like oh, I'm basically like Superman, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I recommend that to anyone um, but I think we've had to wait till Powered by the Apocalypse and Forged in the Dark type games to mm-hmm. to really 
get underneath the spandex and and see games that are real true emulations of what's going on in in some comic books um so for me it's all about masks all day long masks yeah, is, you've um, been playing some of that recently haven't you yeah i think it's brilliant and it's it's brilliant in a couple of different ways it's really helped me to understand power behind the apocalypse gaming which is for you and i is a bit of a holy grail of like can we make it like we, we see it in our heads can we make it happen at a table yeah so masks has delivered that for me and it's also of course become the supers game that feels like supers so well done masks and um i'll just sip this tea and then tell you why i think that <laughs> yes you're, you're a break i appreciate the, the talkings on your side of the microphone a lot this session that, that's fine i guess that's um another element of it is uh how you try and get the interactions between the player characters as well i think generally powered by the apocalypse games and stuff are more more suited to that so the example you give there about spider-man and his girlfriend or whatever it's like it's generally quite easy from a gentle games point of view to put things as a challenge for the players. So you can say you're going to be late for your, your dinner if one doctor was beating your face in or whatever. That's something that Jamie can control. I'd be interested if Mass does this, but if it doesn't, that's fine. We can we can think about other ways of doing it. But how do you try and get the different heroes to interact in a way? Like, how do you get a, whatever they're called, Cyclops and Wolverine kind of rivalry or something? Or, like, you know, mm-hmm. what? How do you make that element? Because that's part of it. And it's fine if you're a comic book writer. And you can you can write all this stuff out and give people scripts for your characters, but when you've got players around the table, uh, enabling them to be able to do that kind of stuff, which I think would bring the sort of stories you're talking about alive, is probably yeah. a little bit trickier. Yeah, I think it is trickier. It is because you could argue, and other games do argue. Well, that's just role playing, isn't it? What do you need numbers for that for? But as we all know, if it isn't numbered, it doesn't get as much spotlight at the table as the stuff that is numbered. Yeah. So you know, and I think. If we use D&D as a bit of a yardstick, which I think is we're entitled to do in this case, you've got classes and they've got a bit of niche protection. So the ranger can do stuff, the rogue can do stuff, the fighter can do stuff. And they kind of all need to be there in a party composition to deal with the threat of the week. Don't have to be, but that's, that's the way the game is played. So they've all got a job to do. And if someone's missing, the job can't be done as well as when that person's there. So there, there are supers games that do that, but then we're back to the whole Swiss Army knife approach, aren't we? Of like, yeah. yeah. So that's that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is building up relationships and triangles and the stuff in the comics about your rogues gallery, which is your suite of villains that you have fought in the past and the classic ones that keep coming back. And you know, Spider Man is brilliant for this, isn't he? With the Green Goblin and and all of that kind of stuff. So the way that Masks deals with it, and it's not alone in doing this, but the way that Masks deals with it is to really make the game about those relationships more than it is about the colour of your costume or the fizzing plasma around your fists. So there's an influence mechanic. And the influence mechanic is binary. So your character is either influenced by someone or is not influenced by them. And your character has influence over someone or they do not. So there's a bunch of connections that are built into character generation from the start, depending on which type of hero you are playing. And it's all done through playbooks. So if you take one that has, it will tell you in your character generation, you have influence over one other person in your team. Who is it? And you pick that person and spin up a little, you envisage a little reason why that's the case. Or it might say, uh, no one has influence over you. You're an outsider. Fine. Or it might say, everybody has influence over you because you'll do whatever you're told 
<laughs> and in Masks in particular, the, the twist in Masks is that you play a teen who is early to their heroing career. And like most teens, it's trying to find their way in the world. So every adult in a game of Masks has influence over your character at the start. Every single adult. So if a cop points a gun at you while you're beating up a baddie in an alley and says, freeze, drop it, there's more to it than just GM and player role-playing with each other because that's an adult telling you to do something. You can either accept their influence, for which there are mechanical things happen to your character, and specifically they move one of your stats up and another one down. So you've got very, very flexible stats. Or you can reject their influence, which again will have some mechanical impact. And as your character grows, your influence circles change. You have influence over people that changes. They can let you down. Other people could like maybe save your life. Other people could be a great team member. Other people could betray you. Uh, you've got all kinds of love life stuff going on. Um, teachers have influence over you. So it's like, where's your homework? Your mum. All of this kind of stuff happens. And your labels, which is your stats in masks, fluctuate massively up and down depending on how who's influencing you. And the influence game is as important as the smacking someone in the face game. Right. Because smacking someone in the face will do loads of things. It's a supers game for goodness sake. Of course it does. But almost as important is, is who are you influencing and who is telling you how to be and what to be. And that includes the generation of heroes before you. Because it mirrors the idea of comic books having a silver age, a gold age, a bronze age, an iron age. And there are all these generations of heroes that have built up this setting around you that you are trying to play in, but it's their world, and you're just trying to make a name for yourself, and you're not idolised by the public at this point. So, And you realise you can't do it on your own, so you've got to have your friends. So it's clever. It's clever as anything because it puts as much emphasis on your alter ego as it does on your costumed identity. But it, the game would be nothing if it was just one of those halves. It would either mm. be just an ordinary supers game or it'd be a game about teen dramas. And I'm not interested in either of those. But by <laughs> pulling them all together, you've got two, two flavours that make something really, really clever and incredibly satisfying to play. That's, that's very interesting. That's, that's tempted me to, to have a look at that. Certainly. Like, part of it sounds a bit like Pendragon, or like Legend of the Five Rings in terms of uh, there's a culture, a way of working that you're supposed to work within that other people decided and everyone else is higher rank than you are. Mm. And then you're faced with dilemmas and challenges that you have to work a way around, but within the framework of how society is. And you can go against that um, framework, but then there's consequences for doing that yeah, uh, and so forth. So there's, um, I think that does provide good, strong role-playing opportunities when there's an expected way to behave but you're set with challenges that mean you're going to have to bend that in some way to get mm. a solution, and there's yeah. no right answer. That, no. That's more of a interesting playing experience for me than, oh, there's some bank robbers, so let's go and beat them up, for example. Well, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, bank robberies happen, and you get to swing from webs and fire blasts out of your eyes and all that stuff, but interestingly, the mechanics don't kick in until you do something more than that. So using your superpowers, like in, in all those other games we mentioned where you build up a, a list of abilities and put points into it or levels, that's not mechanically interesting in masks. It doesn't get dealt with mechanically at all. Fictionally, of course it does. Yeah, you can do everything through a super's lens 
I mean, there's no dice roll necessary for Spider-Man to swing between two buildings. We don't need to know what his web-slinging ability is and figure out whether it's dark or raining or windy that day. Right. It doesn't come into it. it. doesn't come into it in Masks. So, yeah, you, you just you keep on narrating until, like with the best of games, you get to a point where it's like, oh, hold on a minute, you're either trying something risky or impossible here, so let's figure out what we can do. We can't just say yes to everything. And you only get to roll when you unleash your powers in Masks. And unleash your powers is that bit in the comic book where it's probably what we call a splash page, one image across the whole page, where you are really pushing yourself or trying to do something really unusual. Um, and there's a million different examples from like every time an X-Man does everything or in the Fantastic Four when Human Torch does his Nova ability where he just like burns like a sun for a few seconds. And he doesn't do it every issue doesn't do it probably every five issues, but it's definitely a thing that he can do when he really pushes himself. You know he's going to be all burned out at the end and the flames will have gone out and there's a bit of smoke coming from his back as he's on his hands and knees on the street going, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you get to roll the dice because unleashing your powers is like an uncertain moment. Just using powers, that's not the game. Yeah, that that's assumed to be the case, and you can narrate away quite happily that no one's ever going to say you've got to make a roll for it. So, and that's that's clever because it means that you still get to be a superhero, you get to have all of the powers that go with it, and obviously you don't get to have everything. There are you, you're ticking boxes and taking playbooks and making choices. There's a relative element of balance in there, but you're not called upon to justify your use of that stuff, and it doesn't cool down over the course of a day or like you've got three mega powers and you've got to define two stunts. No, 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 no. That's all taken as red until you unleash your powers. And similarly, you only have to roll to defend yourself, in a sense, when you have to take a powerful blow. And that's a powerful blow, not take a blow, take a powerful blow. Because in comic books, there's all kinds of back and forth and people being thrown into buildings and having you know crawling out from underneath the wreckage of a car that's been chucked at them. That's all fine. A powerful blow is when the villain does what you just did with unleashing your powers, where Magneto really does, you know, pick you up by the belt buckle and slam you into a helicopter. That's when you have to like roll for that. And that's clever. So by by basically taking all of the game out of it and just making all of the superhero stuff completely mundane, for want of a better term, it's that that puts the dice rolls and the risky bits in the places where they need to be. So there's no perception rolls. And this is similar to a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, isn't it? I think it's yeah, it's, it's not that much of a leap to see how it works. But Supers is built for this because it gets rid of all of those conversations about, about who's stronger. Is it Thor? Is it the Thing? Is it the Hulk? It's only mm. one way to find out. Let's play to find out. Yes. Yeah. And I think the, power, the other problem I've got with Powers, which I understand why they don't do it in comic books, is that people... Like they, they come up with some inventive ways of using the powers, but then seem to forget they've done that. Yes. And there's, there's things that could be solved by something you've done 10 issues ago, but they don't use the power that way and seem to forget they can do it. Or there's that, I think, because of the readership, you want to like make it interesting every time and not just have them say, solve the same problem the same way repeatedly because that'll get dull. But uh, from a play experience point of view, as a role player, if you've got a solution to doing something, you want to be able to use it and not be hoping that you know, you've got enough uses of your power left or that the dice come up in your favour. If if you can sling webs, you want to be able to just sling webs, like yes. as, as much as you could as shooting a gun or anything else you would do in another game. And then if you've got the freedom of not limited on the amount of times or will it succeed or not, 
that gives you as a player a lot better chance just to kind of come up with crazy ways of doing it because mm. you want it to sound cool. So you, you come up with inventive stuff because you know it'll work. It's guaranteed to work. So all you've got to do is put all your energy into thinking about how do I make this cool and interesting for everybody else around the table and myself. That's exactly right. There's um, there's a, a comic issue of the Fantastic Four. I've probably told you this before, but I'll run for it quickly again. Mr. Fantastic's got the stretchy ability, okay, which is replicated in all role-playing games for supers. There's always someone who can stretch things. And in one comic issue, he wasn't particularly fighting a baddie or anything like that because he's a scientist as well. I think he was outside the Great Pisa, the Pyramid of Giza and he was doing some archaeology and he just made his eyeball come out from his face and swell up to the size of an orange. It was like, so he could get a really close look at something he was investigating. So it's an interesting piece of art. And I went, Whoa! You know, this comic is at this point about 30, 40 years old, and I've not seen that. He's that, never done it before. He's never done it before. <laughs> I've never seen him do it since either. And it's not particularly combat effect or anything else like that, but like, well done the writer for thinking of that. But the writer hasn't invented any kind of like weird case law, like a set of precedent right. that now everybody must use. And some of this is why comics have to constantly reboot themselves because they just get the cruft of every other writer's stuff on their shoulders and they become unwieldy. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, if you give that to like players in trad games, trad players, I'm a trad player for goodness sake, when you find something effective, you keep wanting to press that button. Mm. And then you wonder why your game is a little bit tedious because you yeah. keep doing the thing that's effective, not interesting. Mm. And you shouldn't be banning stuff like that. You should just be maybe encouraging the use of interesting things instead. And I think that's what Mars does so well. It doesn't give you limits on your interesting things. It just opens up the possibility that you can do all kinds of stuff. And and there's no pushback from the world for doing that. So, you know, better think of something fun to do, really, because otherwise you're going to be very bored mashing that button over and yeah. over and over again. No fun at all. And and how does things work with villains? Because that was kind of like one of my other strands. Is how do you make them challenging enough? Like mm. it's quite boring. If they are just like cardboard cutout evil, that's quite dull. Yeah. And they obviously need to be stopped, and hopefully stopped in a permanent way rather than not. <laughs> but presumably, like none of the bad guys think they're bad guys, or they have something like. So how does how do you bring that element of the opposition into it? Because we want the game to be about. Uh, relationships and interactions and stuff like that but there's still the existential threat of villains right and yeah. I really like the boys for example as a, the comics probably a bit too grim arguably but the, <laughs> the TV show if you've not seen the comic the TV show actually dials it down a bit but that, that appeals to my sort of delta green dark side of things where if people did have superpowers they'd probably go off the rails a bit yeah. because power corrupts and that, that's just a theme so how do you deal with that kind of angle to it as well but there are going to be people who haven't handled their superpowers as well as they should have done, and now they're not acting in a productive way for society. Yeah, so, I mean, villains in the comics, are there's all different shades and spectrums of villains in the comics, isn't there? But I think it has been... You remember we were saying earlier about everyone plays the, the Batman's TV show when they sit mm-hmm. in a Supers game. Once you get past all of that, you're okay. But the same thing has happened in the movies as well. Like All the movies kept doing the origin story. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah, and in Spider-Man did it two or three times, in fairness. And these are all stories from the 60s, if it's a Marvel film, generally speaking. And and they were okay, but what makes Spider-Man really cool now is he's on issue 600. And (laughs) (laughs) that might not stand up to actual fact-checking, but it's it's a lot of of issues in. 
and the Green Goblin, his first appearance, or the Vulture's first appearance, they're a bit shonky, to be honest. And the films always sort of like pluck one villain, don't they? It's like it's yeah. Electro this this movie and this movie's Doctor Octopus. And they're trying to do an awful lot in 90 minutes or two hours and they just splash CGI all over it and hope that that will do the business. Well, it doesn't work in the movies. It doesn't work in the games either. So, you know, if you're, it's all about the scenario. If your scenario is about robbing banks, I'd say you're probably not. You're probably not telling comic book stories that are out there on the newsstands today, because that's not what's happened in X Men for the half a century. You know, and the Avengers, the Avengers do a better job of it in the movies, definitely. And I've been reading the Avengers when the Avengers were certainly not cool. But they were very rarely dealing with thugs in the street. It was much more interesting than that. Sometimes it's on a cosmic level, and, and that's just but that's just playing at well a higher level, isn't it? Yeah. But sometimes it was at an interesting level. So you think about villains like Magneto, and his relationship with Professor X is an absolutely stellar example of like is he even a villain? And I'm, <laughs> for, for many people, he's a good guy to me. <laughs> exactly, shades of grey, shades of grey, shades of grey. And he's not holding anyone to ransom. He's got a motivation. He's got a drive, which isn't just cash. It's not even power. It might look like that on the surface, but that's not it at all, is it? Maybe it's vengeance. I don't know. And this is, you know, I'll have to get in my little dig at DC here. This, well, I personally don't get on with DC because all of Batman's villains are just nut jobs, And I don't find that much of a motivator, yeah. you know? But some of those classic villains are classic because they've got a long backstory. They've got real drives real motivations, it's all shades of grey, and sometimes they're on the good guy side, very often in comics. Sometimes they're on the bad guy side. They change allegiances and things happen and they fall in love with the wrong people or the right people. And it's been a very, very, very long time since it was just about trying to rob Fort Knox. But unfortunately, Super's Adventures still think that's your starter scenario. Yeah. And, and that's why the villain in it is always going to look like an idiot. So that advice that I've just said there, mate, is no different to the villains you want in your Call of Cthulhu game, your Hot War game, your Blue Planet game. They're, they're all That's the answer to all of it, isn't it? You don't just have something in Deadlands like a hanging judge just show up and just be murderous and violent for, and random, because then nobody really cares. They can do that, but, you're, but, the, but the thing that you didn't like about villains, the recurring element of villains, that's what makes them start to have a life. Because as long as they don't come back the same, as long as they come back changed by your interaction with them and the stuff that they've been doing off stage, then they're starting to grow. Because you've got recurring PCs every week, so your rogues gallery should also be a front, as it is in Powered by the Apocalypse games. It should be changing, it should be ticking clocks in the background, it should be moving agendas forward. And very rarely will that just be the accumulation of cash. After a while, X-Men very rarely go and fight criminals they very rarely go and fight supervillains in many ways, but they are they are having relationship issues with their rose gallery of old, with with the government, with authorities, with with mass media. Again, the comics have solved this issue a very very long time ago, but role playing games of supers are still fighting bank robbers in crazy suits and thinking it's like the penguin and and there's big words coming up on the screen going <laughs> fazap and kawank. <laughs> <laughs> how does the the, uh, the mundane aspect work then I guess how do you uh, strike a balance between doing superhero stuff in the classic sense and 
having to go on a date. Because <laughs> they're they're like two different games, really. I think you've sort of alluded to that. Yeah. Match, so they work in different ways, but like, how how do you kind of like judge or make it interesting for the relationship stuff? I guess, especially if it's one on one things. I guess because the comics, if it's uh, Spider Man with Aunt May or a girlfriend or something, that's very one on one. Yeah. And what I'm 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 sort of looking for problems and aware, but what I could see happen is lots of one on one relationships between player characters and their specific NPCs. Yes. Which could lead to like four or five little mini games happening around the table yeah. before you all get to team up again and do something together. I think that's that's absolutely valid and I can see that happening and it does happen in uh, another one of our favourite games, Blades in the Dark, of the Forged in the Dark stable. I think without the conceit of heists, there is there would be four or five individual games going on and all you're trying to do is move the spotlight fairly quickly so that everyone's got their few minutes and then it clocks around again and you're all off doing your downtime aren't you and yeah. indulging your vices and working your contacts and you might come back together again for a bit of a chit chat at some point and you get that tedious scene in every game don't you where the player goes alright I'll go back and tell everyone what you've just told me GM because I was on my own <laughs> when you told it to me but they were all listening but I, but I can't pretend they were <laughs> <laughs> I'll now reinterpret the words you've just said out loud to everybody <laughs> exactly and that does happen in supers and in Super's comics, especially team-based comics, you've got the ability to manage that as a writer very, very easily. But in a role-playing game, it's different, isn't it? So, mm. interestingly, one of the GM moves in Masks is bring everyone back together. Because it's aware that the, the people are going to go off and start doing things. And smartphones are dead handy for that as well. So, in, in, um, in my latest Masks game, I had uh, one guy in a prison... Uh, sorry, in a police uh, cell uh, because he got busted for having a fight on a campus and the principal was coming to bail him out. So that wasn't good. Uh, we had one hero was racing across the city to find another one, but she was getting um, texted by the guy who wanted to invite her to the prom that night and um, because she was head of the cheerleading squad and she's got a deal with him. And while that's on call waiting, there's her mum on there as well because she can't find the remote anymore and wants to know where that is. And I've <laughs> got the third hero has actually been captured by a villain and that's the one with the most normal hero story going on. But, you know, but he's supposed to be due back for dinner that night because it's a special family occasion. So blending all these things in together is great fun. But as you say, you end up running three different stories. And in comic books, they'll just flash from one page to the other, won't they? And they'll have like a mm-hmm. little box of text up in the corner saying, later that evening or at the industrial complex. In yeah. So jump cutting is fun. The specific move in Mars to bring everybody together is just really a reminder because you can't mechanically do it. You just have to say, okay, so later that evening you're all together. And you have the thing in Super Comics where <laughs> this one always makes me laugh. When it, You never have to worry about transport in Supers, do you? You never have to worry about If everyone's in different places in the city and they all need to be at the, at the same dock because that's where the Mafia are unloading the guns. You've got Supers who can fly, never need to worry about it. Supers who can swing never have to worry about it. And you've got poor old people like Captain America who are normally being carted along underneath their armpits by someone with wings. I was just imagining trying to get his vibranium shield into the back of a taxi or something exactly. quite fit. And... Getting an Uber. <laughs> so it's kind of a trope in Supers that basically everybody just gets where they want to get. So really everyone's got teleportation for free. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, I guess my, my comeback though, guys, is I think that's absolutely right to suggest that that is a potential issue. Is it any worse, though, than people who are always in a dungeon and they head off into town when they get out of the dungeon, when they get out of their core activity? And when someone wants to go shopping, someone wants to research a spell, 
someone wants to go and like have a chat with their contacts in the Thieves Guild, it's downtime, isn't it? You want to just bring them back together at some point. Yes, I'm imagining other games though that downtime is a small part of the session, mm. whereas in uh, Masks or something like that, it sounds like that sort of activity is a greater proportion of your time. I think that's fair. Yeah, that is fair. D&D, is, you'll yeah. be down the dungeon for most of it and then just have some shopping trip maybe at the beginning and the end or whatever. Yeah, no, that that is fair. And in Masks, you tend to have everyone in a school, so there's a, a place for them to go. And right. the comic book trope of like the Avengers Mansion is they're literally all living together, aren't they? So mm. there's that. Um, and you just set up like your triangles, like Vincent Baker and Meg Baker put into Apocalypse World in the very first PBTA, didn't they? Yeah. If you've got an NPC, let's say it's... Um, it's uh, Agent Agent uh, Colhoun of the S.H.I.E.L.D. analogue, well, that NPC should be related to two of your PCs. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in the same way. Make a triangle out of it. So, you know, respects one of them, um, idolises another one. And, and those two PCs might not even rub along particularly well together because it's a modern day and not all PCs have to be on the same team. But then, as soon as any NPC is in there, you've got a triangle... And that means it's you can solo it for so long, but it's way more interesting if at least you've got little double teams going on. Yeah. Okay. That sounds interesting. So how do we handle, or is there, is there anything different we have to do if we're talking about more down-to-worth superheroes? So it's probably some of the more low-budget stuff, maybe, but maybe stuff like Punisher or mm. Jessica Jones or whatever, where you have got some superheroes, but they're quite low-key. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of thing, or even Peacemaker, which I don't know whether you've seen or not yet. I've but that's, not, no. That's kind of like come off the back of the um, what are those terrible movies called? Well, the second one's not so bad. Suicide Squad. Correct, that's it. I think it's the same guy that did Suicide Squad. So the first one of those movies was terrible. The second one's alright, and then he's done the, the, he's done the Peacemaker series, which is based on the Peacemaker, who's an asshole, he's like, he's sort of like USP. Yeah. And he's just got a bunch of other like relatively mundane people around him. There's another guy who's like a psychic, but he's really just quite a good martial artist. And that he's not really got superpowers per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. So uh, do those sort of things still featuring superhero games? Are they not necessarily your wheelhouse in terms of not being four-colour, but does that still count as superheroes? And is that an easier route in for people? Or is that just potentially doing more of the same sort of stuff that you do in other role-playing games? And I think it definitely still counts. Now... In, in your, your more trad games, for a long time now, there's been an element of sort of tiering your game. So street-level supers is absolutely one of the genres that you should be having a session zero about. It should be coming up, shouldn't it? Like, you know, I want to play the Silver Surfer, or I want to play Daredevil. Well, that's going to be tricky. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's, not, let's not do that. Let's find something else. So street-level supers is absolutely a brilliant genre to play in as well because it is a bit closer to the real life that you can imagine. Yeah. And it's... It's a bit closer to um, to the kind of stories that you might want to tell if you're into like uh, Goodfellas, for example, or Peaky Blinders, or things like that. So, the TV shows that Marvel have done have, been, have done a, in varying levels of quality. I think it's yeah. fair to say. <laughs> That's reasonable. But, but the ones that really do well lean into that sort of stuff. I think you know Daredevil was pretty universally liked um, initially, at least. Um, so. It is absolutely a thing, and the reason the stuff that makes them good is, and I feel like I'm on repeat here, is it's not about the powers. It's not about the powers at all, is it? That's just not the theme. What that's about is family and responsibility and duty and honour and 
you know, having an uncle who's a bent cop. That's that's what the story is about. The story really isn't about whether you're like a kung fu fighter or whether you can hover. Those things are just, you know, they're as useful to you as having a badge and a gun um, or as being able to speak five languages. So it's not massively removed from playing, I don't know, spy game or just, you know, any anything savage where you're pretty competent from the outset. Yeah. So being competent is good because that means that there's nothing, there's less stuff between you and the cool story that you're going to generate around your table. You're not going to be fumbling around missing people with your guns or being unable to drive your car across the city because that that's just not important. So your superpowers for what they are are enablers and they just unlock more of the story. What's important, I think, is that the game recognises that with a tiering system, which is like something like Spectaculars does that. So one campaign will be based around street-level heroes, where the NPCs will be reporters and bent politicians and things like that, whereas another tier might be your cosmic-level stuff where you're out in the universe being guardians of the galaxy. So it's either done through tiering, or it's done through session zero, where you just agree the scope of your game, and mm -hmm. you might put some limits onto some, some of the wackier powers. But it's all a conversation, is it? It's all agreeing the tone of the game it's agreeing the tone that you want to set and i think that level of supers is a really good sort of introduction to the game because it avoids the tendency for people to want to play it as if it was the first superman film for example where they dart into yeah. a phone box and take their glasses off and <laughs> which comics have outgrown you know you've talked about the boys and there's the umbrella academy and there's all of these other things aren't there where postmodern supers is people with torn masks and you know less spandex is because that kind of stuff was cheesy back then and it's double cheesy now mm. yeah for sure so I guess the other aspect to cover off <laughs> I was going to mention fate as well and aspects <laughs> oh it's in, in fate you start off at the peak of your abilities basically and your character doesn't change much yeah in terms of the numbers on the sheet anyway presumably you'd think the same for supers then so you're not going to be able to lift more things or teleport further the important bit is going to be the growth of the character then rather yeah. than number position on your sheet yeah people get hung up on advancement don't they like mm. that, that marvel heroic role playing i was referencing earlier the two big slams against it from certain certain elements in the community was the i can't generate a character and i can't do much with the character once i've got it you know but it's not dnd is it it's not that level up game it just isn't or it shouldn't be i don't think it should be I mean, people have said, and I've said it before, that like 4th edition D&D was a really good supers engine, and it probably yeah. was for those type of games. But if you're, if you're playing a game where you want to emulate the comic books, then realistically, over half a century, what's Spider-Man doing now that he wasn't doing in the 70s? Probably not much with his powers. He's been through an awful lot of change. I mean, an awful lot. Venom and Carnage, for example, and all of that kind of stuff, and the death of Gwen Stacy, and you know, great story arcs, but they're not really about him being able to shoot his webs further than he used to, like having a far shot feet. <laughs> that doesn't come into it. So change is a really big thing in superheroes. And there's so much change in the comics that it always has to be rebooted because there's so much of it. And the villains have to be redone again. And that's quite nice in a way. It's not something you see in campaigns, in role-playing games, that kind of reboot so often. But it's it's there for a reason in comics and probably should be embraced to go back to masks which is like my current 
kind of bow, I suppose. Because they're teen heroes, there's built-in stuff for advancement there or for change. So there's an experience point mechanic called potential. So when you get things wrong, you mark potential, not XP. And when you get to a certain uh, a certain level of potential, you trade that in for new abilities. So, so far, so normal, right? That's just pretty normal. But eventually it unlocks other things, including what's called adult moves. And they're not what you're thinking. <laughs> it's not sex moves. <laughs> it's not that sort of move. But it means that all of a sudden, your powers are changing. So you, I spoke before about there's an unleash your power move. That morphs. You're not unleashing powers anymore because you're not a teenager anymore. You've grown up a bit. You've matured. You've got control over your powers now. So now you can use your powers in a controlled way. And that's when you roll to see what happens when you do that in a controlled way because that's what adults do, don't they? They're all kind of, they're all kind of safe about stuff and a bit more conservative. Um, so that's fun to see your, your character change and morph as you go forward. And those little relationships are always firing off. You literally got your stats changing on a minute-to-minute -minute basis in masks. You got your influence changing every session, definitely, uh, multiple times probably. You got people coming and going from your life. You got stuff happening. You got villains going down, then get busting out, then coming back again. It's it's a really kind of chaotic environment that you're in. So as long as it's interesting, then I don't think I don't think there's an element of getting bored because it's because supers are a property that, as I say, have lasted, well, 100 years by this point, haven't they? It started in the 20s and 30s. Superman's been knocking around for quite some time, and I don't think his story is drying up anytime soon. <laughs> so there's no reason to expect that that would be true in Super's games, as long as games move away from the improved punch route, which I don't think does it any favours. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> right, well... I think we're about time, so we, we can't really go... We'll have to stop for this episode, leave it on a cliffhanger. But we could fly around the Earth really fast to make it spin backwards. And... Let's reverse time, <laughs> like uh, old Christopher Reeves movie, and uh, start again. No, that's been good, Baz. Uh, out there in listener land, if there's any great superhero games that we've not mentioned yet, or something you want to enlighten me on or correct Baz on, uh, do feel free to write in and let us know. Uh, thanks as well to our glorious patrons. Someone I knew from years and years ago around a game for me at Continuum. JT, thanks on board. Thanks for coming on at the $10 level. And also to Sid, who's uh, one of our new backers as well. It's always great to have more support. Helps Baz buy new microphones as he busted his last one. <laughs> and uh, us play the internet, man. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Not all heroes wear capes. Thanks, lads. <laughs> Until next time, dear listeners.